have you ever have you ever come to a point in your life where you felt like something's missing in the Christian life? You look at other Christians and you say, it seems like something more is happening in their life than in mine. And you wonder what that is. I think today we're going to look at a passage that maybe hits right to the heart of that issue. Uh, because I think there are Christians today that are kind of living inept, powerless lives, seeing virtually no presence of God in their lives. And there's a reason for that. We want to kind of touch on that because I think uh, the book that we're looking at today really addresses that issue. And so uh, you may be here, this is your first time at Hope Church. What we're doing this year is we're going through the whole Bible and we're really coming to the end of the Old Testament. We're in the prophets and specifically we're in the minor prophets. Now, who were the, what was a prophet? A prophet was simply just a person who was given the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to be the mouthpiece of God, to speak the very words of God. Therefore, when you, when you read through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the minor prophets, uh, over and over they say, thus saith the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. So they're saying, it's not my words, it's the word of the Lord that I'm speaking. So that's what a prophet was. Now, some of the prophets are called minor prophets, and some of them are called major prophets. The question is, well, why is that different? What's the difference? And essentially, the, the, the basic difference is that the major prophets were just bigger books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are just longer books. They take some time to read through them. We're the minor prophets, and if you're reading through the Bible with us, uh, you're reading through the minor prophets right now, and you notice that you could sit down and read the minor, a minor prophet in five, ten minutes, uh, some of these prophets. And uh, we're going to be finishing uh, the Minor Prophets. We're going to be looking at one of the Minor Prophets uh, this morning. Uh, The Minor Prophets are divided, or the Prophets are divided between those that uh, spoke to the nation of Israel before they went into captivity, those that were speaking during captivity, and those that were speaking to the nation of Israel when they returned after captivity. So we call those the pre-exilic, before captivity, the exilic, those that spoke during captivity, and the post-exilic prophets. So the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentation, Lamentations is basically Jeremiah's uh, lament, his cry, his, his just crying over the state of Israel. So you can see ultimately they were the pre-exilic before captivity came. If you read through the book of Ezekiel and Daniel, those are the prophets that give us an idea of what it was like during captivity, especially Daniel. We looked at that a uh, a couple of weeks ago. And then you have the the, uh, uh, minor prophets, the minor prophets, the pre-exilic minor prophets. Those are the ones that spoke before captivity. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, uh, Micah, Nahum, uh, Habakkuk, uh, Zephaniah. Those spoke to the nation of Israel before captivity. And then, the, then there were none during captivity, but there were some after when they returned back into the land. And so Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi were those three prophets that spoke to them. We're going to look at one of the minor prophets this morning, Jonah. And Jonah, interestingly enough, some of the prophets spoke to the northern kingdom, some spoke to the southern kingdom, some spoke to basically the whole kingdom, the northern and the southern kingdom. Um, some, some spoke during captivity when they came back. But Jonah's an interesting prophet because he speaks to a Gentile audience, which is very interesting. 
So we're going to look at the story of Jonah. And some of you, maybe your only exposure to the book of Jonah is that you know it was about a great whale. <laughs> Jonah and the whale, you know. And uh, we're going to try to uh, give you a little bit more meat and a little bit more understanding about the book of Jonah this morning. And then we're going to draw that principle of what is, it, what is it that may be missing in my life, my spiritual life, my Christian life that I desperately need. So part one of uh, what, as we go through the book of Jonah, as I'm just entitling it, Catch Me If You Can, and you'll see the point as we read through it. Jonah chapter 1, let me start reading it, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah. He said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked the people are. Now, there's a little word there, three-letter words, very important, but Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, think about this. Here's Jonah trying to run from God. You go, well, you can't run from God. He's omnipresent. You say, what's omnipresent? It just means that God is everywhere. You can't run from him. He is, he's in the north. He's in the south. He's in the east and the west. He's as high. He's as low. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. And you say, how could Jonah, why would Jonah even think that he could run from God? I guarantee you some of you have tried to run from God. Some of you may be in the midst of running from God right now, and, and you understand what's going on here. So he tries to run. He, he runs in the opposite direction from the Lord. He went down the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. Uh, he bought a ticket and went on a boat, hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Uh, Jonah goes down to Nineveh. He's called by God to go to Nineveh and preach. Instead, he boards a boat. He flees. He goes in the opposite direction. And uh, you, you, the question is, as we read through the book of Jonah, the first question is, why? Why is he fleeing? What's the, what's the point? I mean, after all, he's a prophet of God. Isn't he supposed to be obedient and do what God told him to do? And yet he doesn't want to do this. Why is that? Well, we're not told, but it seems as though he's afraid. He's, he's got a fear for this nation that he's supposed to go to. Nineveh is a great city. It's an incredibly big city. So whether he's afraid of failure or afraid of, uh, of being brutalized or just a, a failure or rejection, we don't know. But we, we, we know that he doesn't want to do this for some very strong reason. I mean, it's got to be a pretty strong reason if you decide to go the opposite direction of what God calls you to do. So part two in chapter one is you can run, but you cannot hide. Okay? Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm to threaten and that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate soldiers, or excuse me, sailors, shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hole. So the captain went down. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare their lives. So in the meantime, Jonah gets on his boat. They head off. A storm comes. And these are seasoned sailors. These aren't people that just got on the boat the other day and they just found a boat. These are people that have done this before. And this storm has just terrified them. And so they, they realize that, that this could be it. And so they all call, call out to their gods. And remember in that day, it was, 
there's a God of the storm, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of fertility, the God of the waters, the seas. And so they all cried, sailors all cried out to their gods, hoping that somehow they would get delivered. They would calm the storm. The captain comes down, finds Jonah, says, you need to call out to your God. Now what happens, and we don't have time to read it right now, but ultimately what happens is Jonah comes up on deck and he basically informs them who his God is, that he is the God of gods, that he is over everything. And so the sailors realize that they're suffering because of his sin, because of his rebellion. They're the ones that are getting pulled into this storm. And they're in deep trouble. They're in, they're in, they're, and, and to their credit, they, instead of just, and he says, you need to throw me overboard. If you throw me overboard, you'll, God's after me. He's not after you. If you get me, jettison me from the boat and, and, and everything will be okay. And to their credit, they won't do it. And so they continue to fight the storm. They continue to fight. And they realize this is a losing battle. We're not going to be able to do this. And they finally throw Jonah overboard. And immediately it's calm. And they are absolutely terrified. Because they realize this is big stuff. You don't just calm a storm like that. And God, it says here, very interestingly... Some translations put it a different way. The God prepared a fish. And we're not told what it was. Don't know what it was. And frankly, that's the, like the most unimportant thing about the whole book of Jonah was what was it? Frankly, here's the deal. Let me give you a quick. If you can get past Genesis 1 and 2 where God created the heavens and the earth and all the stars in the sky, the whole universe... The oceans and all the, the animals in the oceans and all. If, if God can do that, oh, whatever kind of fish it was is not a big deal. Okay? God's not going to go, oh, no, what am I going to do here? Okay? It seems as though that's a pretty big miracle, the creation of the universe compared to this. So here's the deal. The deal isn't what happened, what kind of fish was it? It might be interesting, but it's not, a, it's not a game stopper because, frankly, you either believe in God and the miraculous or you don't. If you can get past Genesis 1 and 2, you shouldn't be surprised by other miraculous things that happen in this book. That's essentially what it comes down to. And it is a book of faith, absolutely, no question about it. But it says that God prepared a fish. Now, in the book of Jonah, it says not only did God prepare a fish... But he's going to prepare a plant, and he's going to prepare a worm. That sounds weird, but essentially the, the end of the story is that Jonah is on a mountain, and he's looking down on Nineveh waiting for the destruction to come, and it won't. And um, it's be beating hot down, and God prepares a plant. And this plant grows very quickly, and it gives him shade, and he loves the plant. He's so happy about the plant. It's his favorite plant. And then God prepares a worm. The worm eats the plant, destroys the plant. So now Jonah's all mad about the plant. He loves the plant more than he loved the city. We'll see that in a moment. So, so um, Jonah is... Uh, and by the way, we come to ch chapter 2 and verse 9 and probably the most important statement in Scripture... Two nine, you might want to, you might want to underline that in your Bible. Jonah says this out of the belly of the great fish. Salvation 
is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. It's not from me going to church. It's not from me from doing good deeds. It's not from me believing in certain things. Salvation is from the Lord. It always is. It always will be. It always has been. Salvation is always from God to us. Now, there's some interesting parallels, and Tim Keller has brought this out. There's some interesting parallels between Jonah and Jesus. And Jesus basically has made this connection, but if you look at it very clearly, there's an interest, some interesting things. Because there was a time in the New Testament when Jesus and his disciples got on a boat, and guess what hit the boat? A great storm hit the boat. And, and let, me, let me show you the parallels. Both Jonah and Jesus were in a boat that was overtaken by a storm. Jonah's boat was overtaken by a storm. The boat that Jesus was on was taken by a storm. Interestingly enough, Jonah and Jesus were both asleep and needed to be awakened. And, and basically, when they were awakened, Jonah by the captain and Jesus, when he was awakened, they basically said, don't you care? We're perishing. It's all over. We're done for. This is it. It's, it we're in trouble. Both Jonah and Jesus calmed the storm miraculously by divine intervention. Jonah calmed the storm by being thrown into the the sea. And Jesus spoke a word, and it was calm. Jonah and Jesus amazed and brought fear because after the storm was calmed, it says both the, the sailors in Jonah's boat and the disciples on Jesus' boat were terrified of the power that was displayed. Jesus and Jonas are similar in that Jonah convinced the sailors that if he died, they would live. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, verse 41, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation of judgment day and condemn it on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus saying that I am the one that is greater than Jonah and I'm here and I'm preaching and I'm bringing the warning. And Jesus was saying one is greater than Jonah was in their midst that he would come and he would calm the ultimate storms of our lives. And he did. What were the ult- What's the ultimate storm of our lives? Sin and death. Sin and death. And he didn't just offer his life, he gave it. Incredible parallels between... And by the way, uh, Jesus at one point said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the belly of the earth. So there's some incredible parallels between Jonah and Jesus. Let's go back to Jonah. Now he's he's uh, been exited from the great fish onto the beach. He's had a time with God, and now God calls him in Jonah 3. A second, the second time is a charm. The Lord said to Jonah the second time, Get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Deliver the message that I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. Has that ever happened to you where God's called you to do something? You said, no, 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 no. And you've gone through hell. You've gone through difficult times. And then you finally say, all right, all right, I will do it. And you, the second time you go and you go, why didn't I do that in the first time? Could have saved myself so much pain. Notice how they describe Nineveh. It's a city so large that it took at least three days to see it all. Uh, On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from that greatest to the least, they declared at last 
a fast and put on a burlap to show their sorrow. Now, Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, and his message is pretty uninspiring, isn't it? I mean, look at this. Now, and, and again, I don't know everything that he said, but my guess is this is pretty close to everything he said. This is what he said. Forty days from, from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all, I think that's all he said. Now, what if I got up and just said that? Something short and walked off. You go, wait a minute. Isn't there anything more that we need to know? Apparently not. Because <laughs> it says they repented. They turned from their sins. Here, here's what I want you to see. There's a couple things I want you to see here. Some of you have been really trying hard to share the gospel. And you're worried. What if I leave this out? What if I don't talk enough about this? What if I don't mention this? What, did, I leave, did I miss this? Did I blow this? And some of you have tried to share the, the, the gospel with your family, friends, uh, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and you feel like, oh, man, as you think about it, go, man, I merely messed that up. And, and, and you may even get to the point you say, man, if that person ends up in hell because of me, I just want to say to you, no one is going to head up, end up in hell because of you. But I also want to say we should be, do the very best to be able to give an answer to those who ask about the hope that's within us. We ought to be able to share the gospel both in word and in deed, but in word. And we ought to be able to clearly communicate the gospel. And we ought to think about it. And we ought to pray about it. We ought to learn and, 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 and do all that. But in the end, it's God who's going to turn hearts. Because obviously, he didn't do a very good job here. Right? This is not good. And it's on purpose, and we'll see why in a moment. He was not trying very hard. But the point I want you to see is God has called us to be faithful and to be diligent. And it's not our job to turn a heart. So it's not an excuse for you to be slipshod in how you share the gospel. But it's encouragement to those of you who have shared the gospel and felt, I might have blown it there. I might have not said it right or... Just understand that God can oversee this process. That should be an encouragement to you. Now we come to chapter 4, and I just entitled it, I Knew It. And really, verse 10, it says, When God saw what they had done, the people in Nineveh, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and didn't carry out the destruction that he had threatened. You'd think, okay, so why doesn't it end there? I mean, and they lived happily ever after, right? This is great. Cut it off. Disney, there it is. Boom, you know. Print it, right? And that's not what happens. This is really striking. R let me read you the rest of that. This change of plans. What was the change of plans? That God decided he wasn't going to destroy a whole city of Nineveh. A hundred thousand people. And, and it's called a change of plan greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Now get this. This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. 
You are eager to turn from uh, turn back from destroying people. And then he says, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Here's, here it is, the real reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Tarshish. It wasn't fear. It was hatred. He hated these people. Now, they were the enemies of Israel. But come on. He was heartless. He was angry with God. And, and God prepares the plant for him to give him shade. And, and he loves the plant. He's sitting on a mountain. And he's looking down in Nineveh, hoping for the destruction of 100,000 people. And it didn't happen. And he's upset with God. The book ends with a statement about God's heart towards the city of Nineveh. And I think it expresses his heart for lost people today. And it says this in verse 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. In other words, God is saying you're more in love with this plant than you are these people. They're not innocent. No one's innocent. You feel more sorry about this plant Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 100, excuse me, 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention the animals. I like that phrase, not to mention the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? How do you bring the gospel to your heart? That's what I want to spend the little bit of time we have left. How could Jonah's heart and God's heart be so far apart? How could that possibly be? He's the prophet of God. He's the spokesperson for God. God sends him on a mission. He says, no, I won't go. How is it possible for somebody who's supposed to be in step with God to be so far apart from the heart of God? How could Jonah understand the grace of God and yet not understand the grace of God? I mean, did you see what he said about God? Jonah says this about God. He says, I saw that you are a God, a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. He's saying you're gracious, you're merciful. And I don't like you for that. Now, I think Jonah likes it for what it means to him. Right? I think he's good about that. I'm I'm good with you being gracious and merciful to me, but not about these people. So how do you understand the grace and mercy of God, but you don't understand the grace and mercy of God? How is that possible? God, Jonah knew God's grace, but he didn't know God's grace. He was willing to see a whole city destroyed. His hard heart was no reflection of God's heart. So my question is, where is your heart today? Where is your heart today? Is your heart out of touch? Now, I think that what I mean by that is the out-of-touch heart is a person that basically says, I'm living my life. I believe there may be a God, don't really know who that is, don't really go to church, not really connected to a Christian community, 
don't often pray, r- never read the, read the Bible. V- virtually, I'm, I'm a pagan. Not meaning that I'm a terrible, immoral person, but I just don't, God doesn't play any real part in my day-to-day life. The only time God's ever going to play a part in my life is if something goes terribly wrong, then maybe. They're far from God. God has really nothing for them. That's a vast majority of, of, of our world today. Even people who say, I'm a Christian, practically would say, yeah, if you were going to define my life, that's it. There it is. Don't go to church, not connected to a Christian community, not serving, not praying, not reading the Bible, not having any kind of relationship with God, not really sure what that is. This, this was the people of Nineveh, in a sense. They were far from God. But I'm not really talking to that audience this morning. I'm really talking to those that say, I don't feel like my heart's far from God. I feel like I know him. But you might be out of tune with God. And I think there's a lot of people that that would say, I feel like I'm a Christian. I feel like I know God. I feel like um, I'm doing all the right things. I'm going to church. I believe in God. I give my money. I give my time. I serve him. Um, I pray. And... That's great. That that's very religious, and we have a lot of religious people in this community. But Jonah was a prophet of God. I mean, he was religious, wasn't he? I mean, he was probably somebody that people looked at and said, "Look, there's God's prophet, Jonah." You know. And yet, he was willing to allow a whole city to go to hell and not flinch. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't this, well, if they go, what can I do about it? It was, I hope they go. Send the fire. Jonah's like a lot of religious people today. They, they, they like God on Facebook. They understand the go- concept of the gospel, but they don't have They've never, they, they understand the concept of the gospel. They never have experienced the gospel. They know it in their head, but they've never felt it in their heart. There's a big difference between that. There's a huge difference. Be, Jonah knew all about the grace of God, but he had never experienced it personally. He was sharing a message of gr- the grace of God, but he had never experienced the grace of God himself. Now, how do I know that? I know that because if you have experienced the forgiveness and grace of God, you have a different attitude towards other people. You are more forgiving. You are more loving. You you have his heart. You're, You're in step with God's heart. And when you're in step with God's heart, you see people different. You don't see people for who they are. You see people for who they could be and who they will be if God gets a hold of their hearts. Jonah never once thought about what would happen if the city repented. Would it be a different city? Would it have a different culture? Would the families be different? Would the lives be different? Absolutely. What I'm suggesting to you, and this is where the rubber meets the road, it's so important that you catch this, that you can believe the gospel and not believe the gospel. You can believe the gospel, 
Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ came to earth. Jesus Christ died for my sins. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. I believe that. I absolutely believe that. But I've never experienced it. Now, have you ever wondered why so many Christians are just as anxious? They're angry. They're scared. They're addicted as the rest of the world. Have you ever wondered about that? Why is that? I believe it's because too many Christians understand the concept of the gospel and got the concept of the gospel. They've never experienced the power of the gospel. They, they have a head knowledge. They can, they could write a paper about it. They could, they could explain it to you, but they've never experienced the power of the gospel in their hearts. Now, I think that there's a, listen, I lived 18 years of my life and I could have probably told you who Jesus was and who God was and what the gospel was and what grace was. I, I mean, my definitions wouldn't have been great, but they would have been okay. And I would have told you, I believe that. And I sort of did. And I sort of prayed and I sort of did a lot of things. But after that, there was a day where that all went to here. And, and I've been a different person ever since. The dime dropped in my life. It, it was, it, I, I, all I could say to you is everything changed. No, I mean, again, I mean, I was raised in a Christian environment. What I'm saying is, there are a lot of Christians that will, would say, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus loves me, but I need this, this relationship, this job, this level of income, this house, this car, this person, whatever it is. I know Jesus loves me and I know he saves my soul, but I really need this here to be happy, to be successful, to be significant, to be secure. I need this. I, Jesus isn't enough. My real day, day-to-day -day life, he just falls completely short. It's possible to believe the gospel here and have never experienced it here possible. Let me give you a couple of examples. Why do you lie? Why do you skirt the truth? Why do you give a, a, a false impression of who you are to people? When somebody catches you dead to rights, what do you do? Well, if you respect the person or if they have power over you, you're very tempted to lie. Why? Because you're basically saying at this point, it's more important for me to be accepted by this person than it is to be accepted by God. I will rather sin than have this person reject me. I'd rather do that. Or you may like a person and you say, I'm going to give this perception of who I am to this person. I'm not going to really open myself up and share who I really am, my needs, my hurts with this person. And there's a multiple different ways. But the reason is, is because I don't know whether they'll really accept me. And I need them in my life. Or you, you may even go this far in, in young, this is not just young people anymore, it's, it's older people. You could have a relationship with another person and say, I need this person in my life. And I will compromise my moral beliefs with this person. Why? Because if I don't, I will lose them. And if I lose them, I can't live. What you're saying at that point is, this person's acceptance is more important in my life 
than God. And I can't lose this. You see what we're talking about here? This is essential. What we do, the the, the things we do on the surface, the lying, the deceiving, the the compromising our values, it, it it all goes under to the point of when the God of the universe says, you are valuable, you are important, and you're so valuable and so important that I will send my son, and Jesus comes, and he dies on the cross for you and says, this is how important you are, I'm all in. And as Jonah said, throw me over the boat because my one life will spare you all. He, Jesus, throws his, his life into the universe, the darkness of the universe, and takes all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our everything from us, for us. And he says, I love you this much. You're so, you're, you, you, you are so loved that I will give my life for you. Jesus comes to us and he says to us, you're a liar, you're a deceiver. I know every one of your deep, dark, dirty thoughts. And that's why I came to die, because somebody had to pay the price for those things. I will. And I still accept you. And you can be open and honest with me, because frankly, there's nothing to hide. I love you, I accept you, I forgive you. You are accepted in me. But here's the rub. Do you believe this? Is that enough? Let me give you one more. Why do we hate people or dismiss people or just basically, why do we do that? How could Jonah get to a point where he just totally, and they were his enemies, I get that. I get that. I get that whole argument. But that being said, how do you get to a point where you basically just say 120,000 people, men, women, and children, dead Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. See, Jonah realized that it would be a win-win, that if Nineveh was destroyed, it was good for them. It was good for the nation of Israel. It was good for everyone. Jonah could not see what these people would be or could be if the grace of God had turned their hearts. He couldn't understand what it would look like for a whole nation to be turned. Now, it's interesting because when you come to the end of the book of Jonah, the story is left open. The last word you hear is basically God saying to Jonah, doesn't it make sense that if you know I'm gracious and I'm merciful and I I forgive people, doesn't it make sense that I would probably want to forgive these people and that's why I sent you in the first place? Doesn't it? In other words, God's saying, don't you understand I love people, whether they're Jewish or Gentile? And that's the end of the book. We, 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 don't, we don't find out what happened to Jonah. Jonah doesn't... In fact, if you go to the end of the book, it seems things didn't turn out well for Jonah at the end. He's angry and he's mad and he's upset. Unfortunately, that's like some Christians today. There's all these enemies. There's all these bad people. The story of Jonah is left open for one reason, I think. Because the question is, How are we going to respond? How are we going to respond to the grace of God, to the mercy of God, to the forgiveness of God? You say, well, I want it for me, but I'm not really concerned about others. Or you say, well, I understand the concept, but it's never really come down to my heart. Well, how do you... Are you going to continue like Jonah and keep the gospel as a concept in your head, or are you going to allow it to penetrate into your hard, uncaring, faithless, wayward heart. Will you allow it to drop down? Will you allow the grace of God to change your hearts 
so they will beat in step with the Father. That's our big problem. And by the way, there has to be a time in your life where it happens once, at least once, where the knowledge goes from being a head knowledge to your heart. And then there, has to be, there have to be times where you go, okay, my heart's gotten harder. All of a sudden, my heart's gotten hard, and I don't know where that came from. My heart's gotten cold, and I don't know where that came from. My, heart, my heart's kind of out of beat with the Father, and I don't know how that happened, and I need to get it back in track. But there has to be that one-time moment where you, 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 you are overwhelmed by His grace. How, is, how does it begin? Well, simply this. I'll close with this. At the cross... We reflect on His grace for us. We bask in His love and acceptance for us. The God of the universe, and you just you bring yourself where you visualize that the God of the universe came to earth and gave His life for you. And when He rose and He saw what it acquired, He was pleased. Basically, He says it was worth it. When you start to reflect upon... Now, you have to come to a point where you acknowledge that you're not okay and you're a mess and you're absolutely, you got issues. And, and it's not just my parents' fault. or It's your fault. You make choices and you lie and you cheat and you do all that stuff. You've got to come to grips with that stuff and acknowledge that's why he had to come. And, and, and you know... You have to come to a point where the grace of God invades your heart, the mercy of God invades your heart. And when the mercy and grace of God invades your heart, you will look at people different. You'll say, listen, they're just like I was. They're just like me. I've got nothing to brag. What do I have to brag about? Why do I think I'm so great? I'm nobody. All I know is there's somebody who came and died for me, and he says I'm somebody. And if he says I'm somebody, I'm somebody. The question is, who in your life is saying that you're somebody? What in your life is saying you're somebody? I love what Tim Keller says. I'll close with this statement. And you've heard me say it in different forms, but I love how he just capsulized it. He says, I am so bad that he had to die for me. And I am so loved that he was glad to die for me. Has the grace and mercy of the gospel dropped from your head? to your heart? Is your heart beating in step with the Father? If it hasn't, then you can believe all that you want. You can do all the right things. But you're going to be angry. You're going to be worried. You're going to be a mess. You're going to compromise your principles. You're going to do all that stuff. And you're going to say, I guess Christianity doesn't work. Not when it's kept here, does it? (laughs) When it invades your heart and invades your life, you'll never be the same person again. I pray that the gospel truth would go to your heart. This is the most important message I think I preached all year long. If you've never asked Jesus to go from being just head knowledge to being an experiential part of your life, heart, you need to call on him. He will change everything. He will change your life from the inside out. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.
Help us, Father, because this is not something we can do. It's not trying harder. It's not believing more. It's understanding who you are and what you've done. It's coming to grips with our fallenness and our sinfulness and our rebellion. It's understanding that there's only one hope and one way that we can find mercy and grace. It's looking to the cross. It's, it's having our heart captivated by your son, Jesus. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here who's never taken the truth of the gospel and asked you to bring it to their heart, today would be the day that they would trust Jesus as their Savior. And as you gave your son and Jesus gave his life, I pray that they would give their hearts and lives to Jesus. For the rest of us, Father, who have done that, it's easy for our hearts to grow hard and cold. It's easy for our hearts to get out of step with yours. Help us to go back to the cross and to look at your grace and mercy again and to be captivated and amazed and stunned by it. We pray this in Jesus' name.